This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show, where each week we discuss best practices in the field of customer experience management. I'm Tom DeWitt, Director of CXM at MSU, and I'm joined by my co-host and partner in crime, Bob Keipel, Vice President of CX of M and retired Global CX Executive with General Motors. Without further ado, let's get this show on the road. Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Tom and Bob Show. I'm Tom DeWitt, and I'm joined by... Bob Keipel. Welcome back, Bob. It's good to see you. It's good to um, be we're, here. We're Thank you. We're joined today by Justin Neal. Um, who is the Vice President of Customer Experience with Nav Blue? Welcome to the show, Justin. Uh, very good to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Hey, uh, Justin, for those of our listeners who are not familiar with Nav Blue, can you provide us with some background on what the organization does and your job? Absolutely. So, Nav Blue, uh, we're a wholly owned subsidiary of Airbus, the aircraft manufacturer. Uh, so we were acquired by Airbus about four years ago, and we provide software and services to aviation customers around the world, not just Airbus customers, but uh, Boeing, Embraer, ATR customers as well. And that's typically the, the software the pilots use in the cabin. It can be the, uh, the tools that are used for planning the flights uh, on the ground, uh, even down to providing kind of weather updates and flight tracking for customers. Oh, that's so, interesting. So how's business been with COVID? Sorry, Tom. Uh, well, COVID has had a, you know, a huge uh, impact on the airline and aviation sector. Yeah, I think it's probably been, you know, along with hospitality, one of the worst hit. And, and I think it's an especially difficult one for, for airlines who typically plan a long way in advance with all of their schedules and their flights. Uh, they've got to get their crew and the aircraft in the right place at the right time. So uh, with all the changes with COVID, the uh, opening up of and releasing of restrictions and then clamping down again for further lockdowns across the world, it's been really, really tough for a lot of our customers. Uh, and and for Airbus and our business as well, so it's, it's been a huge adaptation by by everyone to this. Uh, you know, what what I think will become in many ways the new normal going forward as well. So Justin, um, can can you tell us? You've given us some background on Nab Blue. Can you tell us a little bit about your job function as Vice President of Customer Experience at Nab Blue? Uh, so it, absolutely. So ultimately, uh, my job is to, to make sure uh, two main pillars of our uh, customer experience organization. The first is customer support. So making sure that our customers can get the help when they need it on all of the applications and services that we offer. And we have around uh, just over 25 different products and services that we provide to our kind of global customer base. And then the other um, sort of main pillar is the uh, training and e-learning that we provide to our customers. And the two really go hand in hand. So we need to make sure that uh, we train our customers and they can effectively use our products and services. Because if they can't, then typically that burden will then fall on the support teams and they'll have to provide all of that support uh, to the customers anyway. 
And so, you know, we've built a, a global support organization. Our customers are in every corner of the world, uh, the airlines, the airports, uh, the authorities around the world. And so we built a, a support team which is co-located in a, a few core locations in Europe, in Canada, uh, in France, so in Toulouse, where Airbus are based. And then we have lots of smaller support locations around the world so that we can provide that local language uh, support to customers in China, for example. So uh, the, our main role really is to, to make sure that our customers can focus on running their business and not have to worry about you know, getting the support they need for the products and services they take from us. What's your job function as VP of customer experience and how do you relate with other departments? I'm sure you have like a sales type organization and that sort of thing. Correct. Uh, so we have uh, uh, a number of different uh, parts of the organization, like most businesses. We have our commercial organization focused on sales, uh, the finance team, the, the product organization. And really the customer experience team, we are transversal. So we touch every part of the business because what we try to do is to look at every aspect of a customer's journey from pre-sales so what's the first thing that that customer sees when they look at our website? How do they interact with us? And I'd like to think of ourselves as the conscience for the organization so that we try to look at everything that uh, touches a customer with a fresh set of eyes, try to be as objective as possible and to be the voice of the customer into the organization to say that, you know, actually we're making this part of the process too difficult for our customers. You know, why do we have, you know, 10 different versions of this contract that we send out? So our job is not just to provide support, but also to, to make sure that the, uh, the organization has that culture of continuous improvement in every touch point uh, with the customer. So what is, um, you, you've touched on this a little bit, but what does the makeup of your CX team look like? You know, beyond customer support, and and I know you and I have talked before about customer journeys and whatnot. What what does your your core team look like? So I have uh, the my head of support, uh, who's based in Toulouse, and you know his role is really to make sure that all of the products uh, are well supported. Uh, you know, we have a lot of KPIs and metrics that we use to measure our performance. And so the, the focus, the, you know, the core day-to-day -day activities is answering tickets, uh, building the knowledge base. It's, you know, that typical activity of a, of a support organization. But something that we're investing more and more in is uh, we have uh, a number of colleagues around the world who support us in the, the data analytics and also a new role, which is the voice of the customer uh, manager. And, and that's where we're moving from uh, what's been very much a reactive support model. So waiting for customers to, to come to us with a problem or an issue or a request for information. And instead, we're trying to anticipate that customer's need and to, to look for opportunities to uh, try and use the data that we have or the, the trends that we're seeing and the information that we're receiving uh, through our products or through uh, some maybe more informal channels through our sales team or through the customer relationship managers out in the field and try to come up with interventions that we think will really benefit the customer and ultimately have a, a long-term 
uh, benefit for us because our goal is to make sure that our customers are happy. It will improve customer retention, uh, improve that customer lifetime value that we have. And ultimately, you know, our current customers are, you know, our, our best source of the, the future business for us as well. And, you know, hopefully turning those you know, customers of today really into to evangelists for us in the, in the industry. So really more and more focus on developing existing people in the organization into new roles, which is more around understanding how to use the, the data that we have available uh, to us. So, you know, the analytics and using those business intelligence tools that we have and also uh, developing the customer personas uh, that we will use throughout this customer journey mapping process that we're developing. And those personas are going to be critical for us because we want to use those personas throughout the organization to say, okay, this is a typical pilot. This is how they interact with us. And it's really different from the operations manager who typically sits in an airport location and, and manages you know, a, a global team. And so we're trying to bring that customer to life through those personas. And, and that's some of the new roles that we're developing, which is not a typical support role in the, the old way of working where it was mainly people on the support desk. Uh, this is really now the people who are using the huge amount of data we have out there uh, to, to try to work out what are the best interventions we can plan for our customers that will really benefit them. Now, I know in a previous conversation we had, sorry, Bob, um, you, you had mentioned different personas across different cultures. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I, I found that to be really fascinating. Yeah, I was going to ask about the same thing. And do you okay. do like original research on this or just mine data that you have? Uh, well, we have the benefit of uh, traveling to see customers all over the world. I mean, we, uh, we work for an aircraft manufacturing and it's uh, for Airbus. So a lot of my time is uh, pre-COVID was, uh, was spent on flights and seeing customers. And you get a feel for it, but you can also see it in the way customers want to interact with you. So uh, one of the, the differences we see is in the different channels you have to offer for support. And so in some uh, places, it's going to all be by telephone. In the Middle East, uh, in some of the, the other locations we have, people will only want to talk to you by telephone. It's all about developing that very personal relationship. They want to know who you are. They want to talk to someone they know uh, typically, and they foster that very personal relationship. Uh, in other regions, it's 100% self-service. You know, If they can get away without talking to someone, they will. And the levels of expectations of support, if you look at South Korea, uh, the level of expectation of support in South Korea and Japan is extremely high. Uh, they expect a faster turnaround. They expect a more personalized uh, service. So as we try to plan our support strategy, we have to think about how do we personalize it for the, the different uh, cultural differences that we see uh, it's not just regional, it can be country specific, and it can also be the types of airline and carriers that we work with. Uh, some of them uh, can be large governmental owned airlines. They have a completely different personality to a low cost carrier where they have a far more aggressive growth plan. They can move much more quickly. And that all has an impact downstream on us within the support team as we try to, to work out how best to serve those customers. 
And to be honest, that's one of the things we love, you know, and it's a challenge because you don't have one size fits all. And, you know, people love to standardize. They love to have, you know, as few options as possible. But what we've really seen is that by offering live agent chats, uh, telephony, uh, you know, we're even looking at integrating WhatsApp as a support channel because it's something that people are more and more used to now uh, getting help, you know, the point of need, you know, they're, they're stuck, they need some help. Uh, why not send a text? That's so interesting. I mean, Tom, we've talked on this podcast before about how customer experience really is kind of the new marketing and, um, you know, it's the core of the way marketing needs to be done. Um, And it sounds like you have such an interesting job. Uh, You see so many different varied uh, situations and cultures. Just by the way, who's the, what culture is an example of one that just are people free? They just want to do something on their phone. I think that's again. I would say South Korea and Southeast Asia. You know, the uh, I think in the Philippines, for example, I think the average number of mobile devices per person is four. <laughs> uh, you know, so you know they'll have you know a couple of personal ones. They'll have a work one. They'll have a tablet. So you know they expect everything to be possible on that mobile device. So if you can offer an easy way to get access to support, to access your documentation, your e-learning to you know to be able to do all of that without actually having to pick up the phone and call someone then they're going to go down that route first so if i could i'd like to just take a bird's eye view which should be good with a company like yours ha 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 um what are the greatest challenges right now that you see in the airline industry just in general um i mean with covid after covid um maybe changing expectations and in particular for Nav Blue, um, from this point forward, I think the, the the biggest challenge we see is that uh, the passenger volumes are clearly going to take a number of years to come back up to the pre-COVID levels. And and I think also if you if you look at how you know we've all had to transition to a new way of working, uh, which is uh, much more virtual. Uh, I think people have adapted to realise that they can they can work very effectively through solutions like you know, Zoom, Teams, you know, Google Chat. And so I think there is going to be uh, a difference in the, the passenger profiles that the airlines are seeing. I think on some routes, like international routes, that were very much business traveler-centric, very high profit for the airlines, that's, that's going to change. And I think we're, we're already seeing a number of airlines really preparing for that change. They're looking at what their, their future passenger makeup will be. And it's, it is going to be very different. Uh, so I think the recovery will be first uh, for domestic flights, and then it will be international. But I think it will be a different mix of passenger profiles. Cargo has become a, a really good revenue uh, mm. generator for many of the airlines. And, and there's another part to it as well, is that there's also become much more awareness about sustainability and a big focus is uh, I think aviation uh, doesn't actually contribute uh, that significantly in terms of um, greenhouse gas emissions uh, compared with some other industries. It's around 2% globally, but it's still significant. And I think all of us want to, to see you know, how can we improve our sustainability in every aspect of our lives. And so making that conscious choice to take a flight or to take the train, to take your car, it's, it's going to be a decision that will be partly based on sustainability in the future. 
So a huge differentiator for the airlines and for manufacturers such as Airbus and Boeing is also going to be uh, how do they make their aircraft and how do they make aviation more sustainable for the future. So you can imagine you know, the knock-on impact for airlines is uh, how do they fly the most efficient aircraft? Uh, how do they uh, compute the most efficient flight plan? And all of this really means a change in their operations. They have to figure out how to change really the way they operate today for the new normal of tomorrow. And for us, the knock-on impact is uh, the expectations of those customers are changing. Uh, the, the way they're using our products is changing. So we have to maybe adapt our products, adapt our training, uh, develop new products and solutions for those airlines and other customers as well. So it's, it's a huge impact. Um, but I think there's a, there's a lot of airlines which are really seeing this as a big opportunity as well to differentiate themselves in the market, to do something different and very dynamic and to, to really come out of this uh, much stronger than some of their competitors. Uh, so we're excited about how we can help. And for Airbus, uh, sustainable aviation is, is somewhere where they're, even in this period of uh, you know, very aggressive cost cutting, they're investing huge amounts in that. I, I'm sitting in the U.S., Tom's in Ecuador. You're in the U.K. right now as we speak. Um, and I'm having a hard time sort of imagining how the passenger makeup is going to be different because um, I'm picturing, you know, who knows with our COVID forecasting, but I'm picturing once people feel like we're sort of safe again, it'll be gradual, I'm sure. Won't they want to go crazy and start traveling all over again? Won't people that miss going to their business conferences and, you know, sick of Zoom and all that? So, so how exactly will this passenger base change? I mean, I don't know. I'm just trying to wonder. You're actually right. There's a lot of pent-up demand. People are desperate for that, uh, that holiday to the beach. And, uh, and I think there is going to be a big rush when it's available. But that's typically, you know, something which is well served by you know, low-cost carriers, uh, and and I think every a lot of businesses are still going to be under cost pressures for a significant period of time. Mm -hmm. As much as we'd love to see all of that international business travel coming back quickly, that's going to take longer to come back, and that's certainly the industry outlook at the moment. Mm -hmm. And you know, typically, you know, that's that's going to affect the airlines' margins and their operating model. And, and it even affects the type of aircraft they will need to, you know, in, in their fleet. So the fleet makeup will change. So it's, it's, it's huge ramifications for the aviation industry. Yeah, and I think to your point, Justin, you know, what we've learned over the past year is how we can work remotely and do so effectively. In fact, some companies have just totally, you know, done away with the office and have asked people to work from home. So yeah, it would be really interesting um, to see what the world of the business traveler looks like in the future. Um, I know you've kind of commented on this already, um, but maybe, maybe you can provide some more insights into what do you think are going to be the long-term changes um, that the airline industry is going to make due to COVID and its effect on air travel in general? I think ultimately a lot of it is going to be beneficial for uh, the likes of us shopping for flights. I think there's going to be uh, more competition uh, to to get your business. Uh, I think you know, and airlines will look to differentiate. 
So I think there'll be differentiation on price, but that's you know a price war. You know, typically, you know, isn't uh, isn't great for everyone's business. So I think there'll also be a differentiation on things like customer service. Mm-hmm. I think actually, you know, making that very you know conscious choice to differentiate based on customer service is obvious for us having this conversation today because I think it makes a big difference. But in terms of customer loyalty, uh, I think it's it's a it's a really powerful way to differentiate. And, and I think there will be that, that impact uh, you know, in terms of sustainable flying. I think uh, an airline will be able to, to brand themselves uh, and, and look at how they can be seen as a more sustainable uh, option for flights based on the types of aircraft they're flying and how efficient they are. And I think as consumers will start to make choices on more sustainable uh, journeys, personal travel and for business travel yeah you bring you bring up a really good point because um i know the the american airline industry in particular has really pared down their um, service offerings and the cabin experience has suffered miserably um, as people make choice based primarily on price it's really going to be interesting to see which airlines um choose to reinvent their cabin experience in a more meaningful way. Yeah, and I think the other aspect is uh, all of the airlines are going to have to make do with less. So what we uh, we've seen in you know, some locations uh, already in some regions is efficiency is the key. So how do you have more efficiency in your operations, and how do you adapt quicker to changes in the market? When uh, the COVID pandemic first started, you know everyone was struggling and you know how to adapt. And I think it's you know now with uh, uh, as the lockdowns were lifted and then reimposed, uh, airlines and other businesses have realised they need to be able to adapt quicker to changing conditions, and they'll probably not have the the manpower that we used to as well. So I think there's going to be a big push, and we're already seeing it uh, that they will have less people to do the the roles that they used to have. So they'll need more efficient operations, greater reliance on automation. And I think that will have an impact uh, on organizations like now Blue, where actually they want more self-service. They want to be able to do things more themselves. They don't want to have to go through uh, a support team or they don't want to have to uh, go through complex contractual uh, discussions for a small change request or something like that. So I think there's going to be a, a knock-on impact of the, uh, the downsizing of operations, the need for more efficiencies. And that's something that we're adapting as an organization as well to, to really move towards this more of an agile mindset and the, the kind of the principle of lean agile where you, you just look at everything you do from a value perspective. Does it add value? If it doesn't, don't do it, you know, strip it out. And, and then how can you then uh, be more agile to changing market conditions, changing customer profiles, and just be more responsive and reactive? And typically, that's what we see. It's you know our customers are looking for from us. Justin, you're right in the middle of all this. It's such an interesting and challenging job. Um, a lot of times, Tom and I will talk about what kind of roles people can have in the CX industry and this sort of thing. Can you talk a little bit about your own personal path and how you got there? Like, what's your background and how did you end up in this role? Was it an existing role? Uh, did you invent it? That kind of thing. <laughs> I started in sort of IT and aviation 
20 years ago with Cable and Wireless and then a, a big uh, sort of mainly European uh, well, headquarters in Europe, CETA, uh, uh, which is another big aviation and air transport organization, so a global company. And it was four years ago uh, I was uh, headhunted by uh, NavBlue at the time to, to really harmonize their support for all of their customers because through the acquisition by Airbus, there were Airbus products and services that were being moved into NavBlue. There were legacy uh, products that came with the acquisition, but everything had a, a different support model. And there was 25 different email addresses, uh, portals that customers could log into. It was extremely difficult for our customers to get support and help. And I remember talking to uh, to one customer in the Philippines, and they said, "You know, we stopped contacting support because we never get a response." And mm. you know, for me, that's you know, it's it's brutal. And uh, you know, luckily, you know, it's and luck. You know, that's a lot of you know hard work by the teams over the last couple of years. Is we've seen within a period of six months we'd implemented a new support system we'd uh, developed our navblue academy e-learning solution for customers uh, we'd managed to start harmonizing the way that we supported the products and that had a huge shift in our customer perceptions uh, the number of escalations going down so really the first uh, six months to you know, really a year 18 months was all about putting the basics in place, just doing the, you know, the what we needed to, to make it easy for a customer to get help when they needed. And a lot of that's organizational change. You know, it's it's convincing, you know, the you know, parts of the organization that needed to adapt, introduce new tools and processes. And that change management can be tough. But I think when they start to see the benefits internally and they start to, to see how it really helps them in their day job, not just the customer. Uh, you know, it's, it's a wonderful thing to watch that type of transition. And now we're in the good place where we have this really solid foundation. And, you know, my role now going forward is to, to really look at how do we take the, the customer experience to the next level by my moving from that reactive support model to the proactive one and that more lean agile mindset where we're not afraid to challenge everything we're doing. And we try to look at everything with that fresh pair of eyes to say, you know, it's, it's not good enough. And, you know, it's not about attacking people or saying you're not doing your job well. It's just saying, you know, we think there's something we could do differently and we think this will have benefit and we're not afraid to try. Well, thanks so much, Justin. This has been really, Interesting. Um, this is our first time Bob and I have talked to anybody in the airline industry, let alone during uh, a time like this and, and through the momentous change that you've um, helped engineer at NavBlue. Look forward to working with you in the future and talking to you again. Um, in fact, maybe, you know, maybe the next discussion can be more an internal focus about, about leading change in an organization. That could be fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's uh, yeah, a whole topic in itself. Well, it's been a real pleasure talking to you both, and thank you for uh, inviting me along. Well, thanks, thanks, thanks for being with us. And listeners, thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Tom and Bob Show. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and share it on LinkedIn and Twitter. If you have any ideas or suggestions for future podcasts, send us a message. 
We'd love to hear from you. After all, you're our customer. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.